I've been reading a lot of stuff about managers and how they are dealing with the new return to work, this new normal. And there's a lot of different kinds of ideas about how people can work together, uh, especially when many of them are considering changing their location to a work from home. It's a really not even a new normal. It is a new newness. My name's Steve Prentice, and I'm sitting here with Jack Skeels because this is his podcast. So uh, this is what we want to talk about. Jack, how you doing? Doing great, Steve. Thanks so much. Real pleasure to be here talking with you today about such an interesting and uh, contemporary topic. We've been talking back and forth for a few months now, and, and the writings and the blogs that you've been doing in the past and the previous podcasts, too, all been focusing on this idea of what management is and what team productivity is. And uh, this is a, a very fast-changing topic that people are looking for guidance my concern always is people are looking backwards and looking back to how things were, not only in the past workspace, but also the future by what they're seeing in the past, how we operated in the past. And this seems to be a very, very new tabula rasa, a whole new open slate. So you've got a blog post out on Medium, and the link will be in the show notes for that, of course, talking about the fact that there's actually a better way to manage from past history as opposed to being a new theoretical. So I wanted just to talk about that, the blog post, and what it is about your ideas for managing in the future that you think will make much more success as people get into this new newness. So what is it about? What is it called? How can people learn from this? Oh, I think one of the big opportunities with any technological revolution is to actually sort of question everything. I, I love that that's what people are doing now. So that I think that's a very very positive thing. I think there are a couple sides to it, one of which is um, one needs to be careful about questioning things that are already somewhat settled. And one example I would give of that is that whether we can functionally work really well being very distant from each other versus being in person, and we do work better together. We don't need to always be together, but we do work better together. Uh, I think another, another sort of thing that's, that could be questioned, um, and probably rightly so, is what is the role of management and managing? And what does this moment in time, this discontinuity, what does it enable us to do in terms of changing our, our understanding and our practice of that? Now, most of us have grown up at a time when we, we've just observed over the last 20, 30, 40 years of our working careers that that's just how you do it. You know, you go, you work in an office, you have a boss, the boss basically sort of looks at what you're doing and uh, talks to you and runs meetings and stuff. So there's a model that everyone expects to be the, the normality. But as your article was saying, things changed a lot during the Industrial Revolution when factories basically replaced sort of the, the, the craftsperson, the artisanal approach to creating things. So it looks to me that this may be an opportunity for us to shift back to that. Now, my first question really is, uh, is this something that is universally applicable? Can we use a broad brush technique on everybody in every workspace, or should people be looking according to their own industry? It's a great question. There's some great uh, work done in the 1950s and 60s around, around group dynamics. One of the things that came out was the sort of groupthink work that inspired uh, things like the Delphi method at Rand Corporation and the like, which is how to get experts to actually listen to each other. At, at the core of that was this problem that is actually the, the biggest problem in one sense with management is that the establishment of hierarchy creates perceptual pecking orders, if you will, um, a sense of superiority. And this is just, this is wired into us because 
in many situations in our past, going back to, you know, 50,000, 200,000 years ago, these sorts of pecking orders were quite valuable, like the strongest person being the best person to lead the strong things that require strength, that kind of thing. But the, the work in the 50s was very interesting around um, having these intellectually dominant people. And, um, and essentially, they, they even stepped away from intellectual dominance to just sheer verbal dominance, you know, the strength of the way you present. Having these dominant people in a room with everyone else actually made everyone else underperform. It's a very, very interesting effect. It literally means that the, the presence, and they called them superior people back then, um, it, and you can see that a lot of the, the sort of thinking that there were that we were intrinsically, some people were way better than other people kind of thing, which is something that we've done a lot of good work on as a society. But back then, the idea that, wow, there's someone really superior in the room made everyone sort of shrink back, learn less, be less engaged, all those sorts of things. That's a natural human, humanistic sort of effect. And, and in a sense, we replicate a lot of these things. They're all embedded in this idea of management that we have today. So there's a willingness then to fall into line. People are, are willing to, to follow their leader and uh, become part of a, uh, a process, which sounds like a natural instinct unto itself, obviously, as you just said. Uh, yeah. But is it the only one? Because what I got from the article was that you also identified, as well as having perhaps the, a natural leader, the one with the greatest strength or the greatest intellect, there seems to have been a much greater instinct towards collaboration. I mean, you know, you go back as far, let's say, as, as hominids hunting back in the era of the Mastodon, just working together to try and bring down creatures and become uh, apex predator through collaboration. So there seems to be two things going on here. One is the, the natural desire to follow a leader, which has now been embraced in our management style for the 20th century and beyond, but also perhaps now the possibility of shining a light more on the democratization and the collaboration instinct that may be irrespective of distance and location. So is that where we're going? I mean, do you, you have this model called the pods model. Is that really where we're looking to create some sort of pod or group of people that are more self-regulating and perhaps don't need to have such strong leadership? The interesting thing that they saw, in fact, it, back in the 50s and 60s, is that when you remove this superior function in one way or another, either by suppressing it, by displacing it, or just removing the people from the room, everyone did just fine. In fact, the research pointed to for example, teams of five to 12 people actually do as well with a manager as they do without a manager. And in fact, the research says unmanaged teams perform as well or better than teams with managers in, in small sizes. So it's, it's sort of, that's sort of unleashing that effect. Um, yeah, we do work really well with each other. And ultimately, I think the thing get, that gets underestimated is we're all ridiculously good problem solvers, right? That's how we got here, okay? We didn't have any, you know, even, even being a straggler in terms of any set of skills as a human was, um, was really something you had to keep up with the pack, you had to keep up with the tribe, you had to contribute. And um, we were really, really powerful as humans that way. And so unleashing those skills, I, and I think the reason I, I say this this way is if I have a room of 10 or 15 or 20 people 
and I have this dominant managerial effect going on, I'm suppressing their capability by you know some huge numbers. Some of the research in self-determination theory shows that this is somewhere around 15, 20, 30 percent. But I'm multiplying that times 15 people in the room. Okay, so I'm removing like four and a half people worth of productivity with this one manager, this one type of managerial behavior and, and presence and the like. So uh, it's a really interesting dynamic and it, it points to a conclusion. One of, uh, one of the other articles I wrote for entrepreneur.com a long time ago, as I said, um, basically the best managers are lazy managers. And there's research behind this as well is that the, the less managing I do, um, the more effective my teams are. And so very, very strange effects, the dynamics between these things. And that's sort of the, the origin of the pod idea. If we start saying that maybe people can kind of do fine on their own, then what's the formalism that replaces the idea of this hierarchically managed, um, managed structure that we think of as a department or a, a team with a, a senior person over them? It seems like a really good time for this to be considered by organizations. I mean, we're, everyone is using this term new normal and, and uh, sort of a return to uh, or a reset, perhaps, in the way that, that, that companies are operating. So I'm seeing a lot of managers out there who, if they were listening to this kind of thing, are thinking, perhaps I'm being threatened here. My position, my, my status, my power is being threatened by the fact that uh, maybe people can work without me, which doesn't sound necessarily like a very uh, comforting idea. So what could we say to managers who want to manage better if the very nature of their capacity as managers um, is being somewhat diminished by this kind of pod idea? Well, I think there are a couple things going on in there. And let's, let's distinguish between two different types of managers. Um, and there's cool research on this as well. Um, it seems I think every kind of research is cool. Huh? I, I think you need to start with where did the manager come from? Now, most managers come from the department or team or group that they're managing, and so that would, it generally means most organizations operate in what we call a meritocracy. So the smartest, the best, the brightest, those who demonstrate um, a set of skills that are honored and cherished inside of the organization move up that tree. And whether it's they are firefighters who rescue the day or they always seem to have the answer first, this is that idea of the superior person. They, they go a little bit faster. By the way, when you flatten this out, they're really not all that much stronger a lot of times, but they're actually better at a lot of the other uh, dominant skills and, and social skills and the like. But this, this person who's really good at their craft and then gets pushed up, and you'll you remember the, the book or the idea of the Peter Principle of getting promoted into your uh, level of incompetence, right? Literally what happens is that this is that specialist to leadership transition when the person they call the deep specialist becomes a manager. And it turns out teams that promote deep specialists into managers are weaker than teams who promote generalists into managers. And that's because essentially a deep specialist can be more dominant over the team and suppress more of the team function. And this is the idea of the lazy manager. The lazy manager actually says, hey, what do you guys need from me? And the dominant manager tells the team what to do. And the performance of the two teams vary greatly. So again, this idea of which manager are we talking about? The the manager that is a deep specialist who gets promoted 
the answer to them is, didn't you like being a deep specialist? In other words, if you don't have to manage so hard, and probably you're not that good at it anyways, how would you like to go back and just be great at what you were great at? That's got to be more fun than struggling trying to manage in the old school way a bunch of people trying to do the thing you do actually maybe a bit better. So that's the opportunity. The opportunity is to go back to what you love and do less of that thing that's kind of new, though you get the status and all that kind of thing from it. That's amazing because uh, I have counseled people on an individual basis on exactly that trauma. Uh, they have been promoted into management and they suddenly find they did not like it because they were subject matter experts working shoulder to shoulder with their colleagues. And now they discover that being a manager is not so much about being a superior professional in that area so much as looking after their lives, you know, the people you used to have as colleagues, looking after their lives and their problems. It's, it's uh, something that not everybody enjoys. So I fully agree with what you're saying here. You know, go back to where you're feeling best and where you feel most comfortable and, and what you're best at. So once again, this becomes a, uh, a significant challenge to the concept of, of management per se. There's some great opportunities. And we've been focusing in the last few minutes here about managers with regards to the teams they're working on. What sort of advice would you want to give to managers who are listening here for whom these kinds of things may be very different and, and just totally counter to what they were taught in business school? Uh, where could they go to either self-reflect and, and come up with these ideas internally or uh, more significantly perhaps how might they want to approach this with their managers as a new approach to doing better for the overall health of the company yeah so it's it as you say it's a lot of times it's a coachable topic uh, because it is there's a a culture of hierarchy at a lot of companies um, the thing you can do within your own domain if you will is actually shift yourself um, you may need to have sort of two personalities as a manager. An example of this would be, I, I'm a manager and my boss expects me to have the answers all the time, right? And the the problem is, is that if I have all the answers all the time, then that means uh, none of my people have the answers, right? Because I will always have to have more answers than them or I feel incompetent because my people should never have an answer that I don't have. So you can see literally how a little bit of hierarchy here uh, creates dominant behavior on my part because of the hierarchy, right? The, now, the, the, the tricky thing is, is that, and, and I was actually, I'll, I'll admit, I, my name is Jack and I was a lazy manager, but I pulled it off and living in both worlds, and this is earlier in my career, it takes a little bravery and you know, what is the status of that project and I would answer, I don't know. Let me go check with the team. So I was a conduit for the people who knew much more about it, the people who were working on it. I wasn't the expert on what they were doing. They needed to be the experts. And so the, that very act there, the thing I did is I said, I will go ask a question rather than state what might only be a partial truth. The reality is, if I answer his question directly, some component of what I'm saying is probably a lie. I'm, I'm just, because I need to act like I know. <laughs> and, then, and then when I go talk to the team, then we've got this discussion where the team's feeling like it betrays me if, if they're actually telling me things that I, that I said otherwise to my boss. Ver versus when I turn it around, I show very clearly I'm letting the team drive the activity. I can talk to the team very simply and say, hey, guys, where are you now? What do we need to do? 
Um, our boss, my boss is asking, just wanted a status. When is a good time for you to give me a status? Uh, very, very empowering. I'm, again, I'm being more the generalist than the deep specialist, more of the collaborator and supporter rather than the dominator, the leader, the director, that kind of thing. Now, a lot of what you do at Agency Agile is to give agencies that sort of awareness and permission to behave in that fashion. And you've got some remarkably powerful case studies of how this has actually worked. But it's interesting to see that this is something that does need to be taught or to be, uh, let's say, revisited. A lot of times we will look at the history of industry and talk about these seminal points such as the, the four industrial revolutions and how that has changed management outlook and consumerism and so on. But we've lived through now, let's say, 50 years of, of digital transformation. There's no question from the first IBM computer to now. We're seeing a world where companies have grown, companies that are barely 10, 20 years old now, have grown inside of this new reality. And they seem to have aged the same way. I mean, I remember watching Google grow from Sergey Brin and Larry Page to this world-dominating entity. And it got fat in the middle, too. It got lots of managers and an HR department and a legal department and all those kinds of things that seem to be the natural, the natural aging process of an organization. So you could take a unicorn today and lay 20 bucks on the table to say that 10 years from now, it's going to be, again, middle heavy with management. So what could you do or suggest, whether it's in an agency sphere or something in another industry, to offset this what seems to be a very natural momentum towards a middle age spread for a company. I mean, is that really the fixed approach or, or can the ideas that you just shared in terms of how managers can reassess their capacity as question conduits rather than uh, the, the rugged individual source of authority, how can we give that kind of guidance to companies now who are facing that middle age spread to come? Yeah, I think that at the core of it is this idea that hierarchy is, is somewhat overrated. And the more that companies need to be nimble, and this, this is where pods come in, really, is that the, the more companies need to be nimble, adaptive, and want to diminish that sort of middle managerial layer bloat, um, pods are the uh, essentially the organizing principle. And I'll explain this because it may seem sort of counterintuitive because aren't they just departments or something like that? The shift that you need to do is not something that most managers can do in and of themselves unless they're completely wired that way. And they're very lucky. I would say nine out of 10 managers do not have the EQ and awareness level to do the kind of thing I described just a few minutes ago regarding you know, how to deflect my manager's question and not not fall captive to the this idea of superiority and dominance and yet empower the team. Instead, the best way to get there is to create the pods. And in creating the pods, you need an operating system for the pod, the pod OS, if you will. You need an operating system that actually diminishes the managerial influence around those people. And in a way... I think like a simple metaphor would be normally at a conference table and you know, we're in a conference room and there are 15 of us or 20 of us or something like that. And, and you know, the people of power are at the table and, and the whole conversation is driven by these, this sort of dynamics of what they want to talk about and the like. And creating pods doesn't get rid of those people, but it was, would really be like, well, why don't all you people who have that sort of managerial role and the like, 
why don't you like go sit against the wall and you can contribute to the discussion, but the discussion is the rest of us at the table. And that's sort of a lightweight metaphor for what making pods is like is back to that idea from the 50s. How do we get everyone together to work together and diminish that sort of dominant influence and just find some natural barriers? And then and then we can teach managers how to how to live in that world. But it actually requires structural change to the world. And that is the the replacing of sort of hierarchical department type structures into sort of cross-functional pods that, that can be self-managing and that can, that can take on whole pieces of work and multiple streams of work and the like. Uh, Jack, this is amazing. I mean, again, this is something that people need to pay close attention to regardless whether they themselves are managers or team members, because as we know, this has significant impact on uh, team health and basically the lifespan of a company in terms of who you attract and retain, regardless whether they move into management positions or not. This is an ongoing conversation, not just simply you and me here, but all of us who are involved in managing organizations or, or working with companies in any regard. So. I would suggest that anybody's interested in sort of following this conversation and continuing to talk about it, comment, you know, just, just make this a dialogue. Where can they find you? Well, folks can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Jack A. Skeels, uh, S-K-E-E-L-S on LinkedIn. Would love to uh, hear from you folks. Also, I do want to recommend something uh, from earlier in the conversation, the writings of Edgar Schein. S-C-H-E-I-N, especially a book called Humble Inquiry. If you do feel inclined to try and become one of those managers, it's a great book to help you understand a little bit more about these dynamics we've talked about today. Well, that's very cool. We're going to put that onto the show notes for the podcast and also a LinkedIn post on your profile as well. So this has been an absolute delight. I am looking forward to the next one. I think this is a learning opportunity for everyone. Me too. So Jack Skeels, thank you so much for being here on your podcast with me. And I look forward to doing some more. Thanks, Steve. It was awesome. Looking forward to the next one. <laughs>